Well, good morning, church across the city of Austin and wherever else you are watching online. Um, just real quick, if you are on Facebook watching live, hey, just let us know you're there. You know, do some likes, no, no thumbs down during this message. You can do that later, but not during the message. But um, let us know you're there because we're thankful that you are with us online. Now, here's the deal. This is important for us to remember that church can never be canceled because church is not a building. It's not a facility. Church is people. So until Jesus comes back, church will never be canceled because where God's people are, that's where the church is. And so I want to encourage you in this really unprecedented time that we are living in right now, I want to encourage you because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that we should not give up in meeting with each other. Just because we can't gather together in a facility and meet as a large group, we still encourage you as long as you feel safe and comfortable to meet with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So we want to encourage you to engage with your small groups. And I know some of you guys are doing church together right now in your small groups, but even as a family, it's important. We want to keep Jesus. We need to keep Jesus front and center in this time. So honestly, this is a great day for the church. And one of the things I was thinking about last night, you know, because it's like, first of all, I'm going to be honest, I was really nervous last night because I was like, it's not fun to preach to an empty room. And so just the thought about preaching to you out there in a space like this when no one's in here was really intimidating. But the thought came to my mind, I was like, you know, more than ever, it, it almost like, I don't have anything to qualify this, but the thought of it is going, since churches aren't meeting in present in their live streaming, I, I was just like, more than ever, it could be the fact that the gospel is being streamed and more accessible than ever before because churches that normally don't do live streaming are live streaming. And so the message is getting out there because tons of people are on Facebook or on YouTube. You know, we shouldn't even call it Facebook anymore. It should just be called Corona Book. And it's just like people are on there. And so they're going to engage on, this, on, on the, the homepage, on the threads there about people talking about Jesus and the hope. And that's important. And so what I wanted to do is we're canceling this sermon series because I want to speak into this, this situation that we find ourselves in. I want to talk about how to find peace in a time of panic. And so I want to let you know, I wrote this last night and, and, and I was thinking about this and praying about it and just letting the Lord speak to my heart so that way I can convey his heart to us so that we can keep our eyes on who Jesus is and learn to live and love like Jesus would in a time like this. Church, this is honestly, it's, it's not a time for us to shrink back. It, it, this isn't a time for us to give in to fear. This isn't a time for us to panic. It is a time for us to be wise, to be prudent, absolutely. But this is a tremendous opportunity for us as a church to declare the hope and the love of Jesus in a world that is shooken up right now, in a world that is scrambling, in a world that is going after and trying to find a sense of control by hoarding groceries and toilet paper and all the other things that are there, people really starting to talk and ask and think about their own lives and mortality. And starting to the people is not even just the coronavirus. We're also talking economics, people who lost maybe 30, 20% of their wealth due to the economy crashing in some aspects. And even the political aspect is like the perfect trifecta that's happening there. More than ever, it, we have this opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. So church, hear me. This is not a time for us to shrink back. This is a time for us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and understand that he's in control. 
that if he's our shepherd, we have no reason to panic and that we should live in love like him in this world that needs to know about Jesus. I hope you said amen. I don't know if you did or not, but I hope you did. One of the things um, I was reflecting on was I remember back in seminary, one of the classes was church history. And I was reflecting on this, thinking, I was like, man, there was a story, it is a historical fact, that back in AD 249, 262, there was this huge epidemic in Rome. It was this plague that just killed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. It is actually one of the deadliest epidemics in world history. At the peak of the outbreak in Rome, 5,000 people died a day. Okay, now put that in perspective. 5,000 people died a day at the peak of this epidemic in Rome. And it lasted for more than just like a couple months. It was years that this was lasting. And the church at this time was still in its infancy because the church came into being, you know, right around 33 AD after Jesus, you know, went up to heaven, all that kind of stuff. And the hysteria was just growing at this time. The, the panic was Ever, it was so thick, you can literally touch it. And it came clear that those who believed in Jesus, the church, they were completely different because of the way they were acting in this season. In fact, the Bishop of Alexandria, he noted that those who didn't believe in Jesus, they were pushing people who, who either had the plague or they thought people who had the plague, they were just pushing them into the road and they were running away from their family members and friends and that, and they were just throwing them out there just to die. If they even died or not, they were just kind of casting them off. And as historians and church fathers were noting that Christians at the height of the plague, and even as the plague was waning off, it was calming down, they were the ones who gave of themselves to care for the poor, the marginalized, the destitute. They were the ones who, out of their love for one another and their love for their neighbors, it ultimately led many to see Jesus. And they began to put their trust and their faith in their lives in him as Lord and Savior. So the the Bishop of Alexandria, he wrote this about the church at this time. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. That puts some things into perspective. You see, the the Christians, they didn't just serve their own kind. They didn't just serve other Christians. They served everyone, anyone who was infected, the sick, the marginalized, because they knew who Jesus was. They knew who was with them, and they knew the hope and the promise that Jesus gave. And the world saw Jesus like never before. Jesus even said that the world will know you're my disciples by how we love one another. But also there's a new standard for believers to love their neighbor as they love themselves. And that's what happened. So as I was reflecting on this, I kept asking myself the question, what kept these believers from giving into fear and panic in the enveloping hysteria and and culture that was happening then in that epidemic, what was it that kept them in a state of peace? And sure, absolutely, without a doubt, some people gave in to panic, without a doubt. But what was it that drove these Christians to love, to serve, to be people of peace and hope and faith at such a time as this? How did they have peace in a time of panic? Church, we just went through a week 
that felt like our heads were just put in a blender. I mean, just the news and the media onslaught, good or bad, of everything that's happening with the coronavirus. The oil crisis that's happening in, in the economy that's just following suit. And even like even before those things hit, just the fear of the upcoming political campaign, literally, like it does feel like the perfect trifecta is happening. However, that still does not explain why we can't find toilet paper anywhere. If someone could explain that to me, I'd be greatly uh, appreciative on that. But there is great panic. There's fear. There's hysteria that's happening. I know folks who are stockpiling their pantries out of fear for being quarantined for months, not knowing if the supply chain of grocery stores will you know, get paused or you know, get affected by that. I know people who are stockpiling their pantries because they just simply don't know if they're going to have enough money to make it through in the next few months because maybe they don't have a job or maybe they took such a, a financial hit with the economy going down. And this is Christian and non-Christian alike. And I, and I get the tension between being wise and prudent. I totally get it. But we believers who follow Jesus, we have to be careful of giving into fear. We have to be careful of giving into anxiety, of being anxious and finding ourselves in a state of panic. Because as a follower of Jesus, we have absolutely no reason to panic. No reason to fear and no reason to be anxious. In fact, Jesus even said this in John 16, 33. I said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And when he gave us all of these truths about he's going to be with us and he's going to the Father and the Spirit's going to be there and he's going to guide us, he's going to protect us, he's our shepherd. He said these things so that we could have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or you will have trials, trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Now, I know as a preacher or as a teacher, it's easy to say these things. It's much, much easier to say it than to actually do it, to not give in to fear or to panic. Now, I just want to confess to you, yesterday, uh, as I was working on this message, I needed to go have dinner, and so I decided to go to my favorite place to eat of all time, Torchy's. And as I walked into Torchy's, I got to be honest, panic was yipping at my heels. And like, I, I got a little paranoid. I was like, I remember walking into the door and there was hand sanitizer there and I did it. And I was just like, you yeah, know, I'm just being calm. But the reality is inside of me, I was starting to like, oh my goodness, do I have it? Do I not have it? And then I got my food and then I was sitting down and there's people around me. And of course, like, and I was trying my best to be like, listen, this is ridiculous, Brandon. Why are you doing this? And isn't it? But I kept looking at people around me. And I was like, Maybe they have it. Maybe they have it. And I was just like, what in the world? I get it. Like, it's easy to feel it just grabbing you and coming upon you quickly. I mean, like, my family, we're heading out on a, a, a spring break trip. We're, we're still doing it in spite of it all. We're, we're still doing it. But I, all of a sudden, we got a, an email from the place that we're going saying, you need to bring your own toilet paper. I was like, what is this world getting into? Like, we're, we're going on vacation, but we got to bring our own toilet paper. So as your spiritual leader, as your pastor here at Austin Oaks Church, and as one of the faith leaders in our community, I want to speak to your soul. I want to speak to my soul because I need to hear it as well about why we can have peace that surpasses understanding in the midst of panic. So if you do have a Bible at home, which I, I hope you do, and I know you do, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 23. I want to look at Psalm 23, and what we're going to do 
this time as we're in God's Word. We're going to be looking at this, but really I'm going to spend the majority of my time teaching on verse 4. Psalm 23. Here's the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is timely. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. And this is not a hypothetical thing. He is our shepherd. He is the one who ultimately leads us to springs of life. He leads us into green pastures. It's his heart and his desire to lead us to areas where we can have abundant life, life to the full as it were. He's the one that leads. To be a shepherd means a few things that we have to remind ourselves of. He's the leader of our souls. We're not. He's, he's the one. He's our guide. He's the caretaker of our hearts. And as such, he knows what's best. And he knows what we need. And that's why David can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. Folks, listen. Hear that. Right now, in this moment, you lack nothing because Jesus is your shepherd. There is nothing you lack. Period. To be a good shepherd means that you have to be ever-present. It means that you have to know your sheep personally, intimately, and it means you have to be active. You can't be a good shepherd if you're not present. You can't be a good shepherd if you don't know your sheep, if you don't know their name, if you don't know which ones are yours, right? You can't be a good shepherd if you're going to be passive and not engaged. Jesus is present. Jesus is ever personal with us. He is intimate with us. He knows us. He cares for us like no other. Jesus is active in our lives at this very moment because he is our good shepherd. I shall not want because he's the one who's leading. He's the one who is present. He's the one who is personal. He is the one who is active in my life. He knows where to go. He knows everything. He is not surprised by this moment. He is not caught off guard by all the things that are happening in our time. He's the one who ultimately makes us lie down in green pastures. He's the one who leads us besides the still waters and restores our soul. He's the one who gives us the peace inside. In the midst of this panic, because we know who's our shepherd, we can have these moments of rest and peace and quietness and calmness. We we don't need to scramble for control. We don't need to freak out because he knows. You have to let that sink in. Can I share with you something that 
is sort of embarrassing, but I know it's true of you as well, so you can be embarrassed with me. When all is going well in life, when it seems like everything in life is working out as it's meant to be, and every decision that I make or you make is a success, and everything I do turns to gold, and my kids think I'm the best dad ever, and I'm the best husband ever. Listen, it's easy for me. Yes, it's easy for me to go, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. It's easy for me to go, I'm beside still waters. This is great. I'm in lush pasture. Everything is awesome. God is good. I lack nothing. But when all, when, when all is not going so well, it is harder. Because it's easy to see God when everything is good in a lot of ways. But when we're in the valley, it's not so easy. It's easy to see God being present, being active, and being personal when everything is going well. But when things aren't going so well, we're like, God, where are you? God, are you even here? Do you hear me? Are you alive? Like, where are you? The valleys of life is oftentimes where we struggle. How do we see God in the valleys? How do we act in the valleys? It's hard to see him as present. It's hard to see him as active. And it feels oftentimes that he is impersonal and that he is passive. But here's the deal. Listen, like, I want you to write this one down. If, like, I'm, I'm serious. I got people watching you. I want you to write this down. Awkward pause. If he's our good shepherd on the mountaintop, he must be our good shepherd in the valleys. If he's our good shepherd on the mountaintop, he has to be the good shepherd in the valleys because without the valleys, there is no mountaintop. Without valleys, there is no high country. There is no mountaintop. If he's your good shepherd when everything is good, he's also your good shepherd when everything is not so good. We need to know where Jesus is in the valley. Look at verse 4. Look at this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to talk to you about valleys for a moment. Valleys are dangerous grounds for shepherds. They're dangerous for the sheep. And in Israel, they understood this, but they also knew that you had to go through the valleys in order to get to the mountaintops. And all good shepherds knew. They absolutely knew that it was imperative to go through the valleys for the sheep. They knew that. They knew on the travel that it was the gentle incline in the valleys that was the best for their sheep. They knew that in that hot climate that the best sources of water were in the valley. They knew that the most lush pastures at that time for feeding of the sheep in that travel was in the valleys. They knew that, but they also knew the dangers that existed in the valleys. They knew that at any moment, if there was a storm, rain would come down and a rampage would come through and potentially flood out the valley. They knew that danger. They knew there was danger of rock slides and rocks falling down. They knew that the predators and bandits had the vantage point of looking down in the valley. They knew all of this. They were surprised. They weren't caught off guard. They were prepared by this. And so we got to go in this psalm. We are the sheep. He's the shepherd. None of this catches him off guard. He knows all of the risks, and he's prepared for all of those risks. He knows all of the dangers that can happen in the valleys, and he's not taken by surprise. Church, listen, Jesus is not surprised by what's happening today. He is still Lord. He's still singing over you. 
He's still good. He's still faithful. He's still at peace. We should too. But as a sheep, valleys feel like panic, fear, paranoia, especially if we don't realize who our shepherd is. Even though I walk through the valley. I want you to say that with me. Yes, we're going to interact, and I'm just going to trust you're going to do that. And if you don't say it, I don't know if it's embarrassing or not, but I want you to say this with me. Through the valley. Okay, now let's try that. Okay, on the count of three, one, two, three. Say it out loud. Through the valley. That is absolutely important to grab hold of. Even though, even though I walk through the valley. What David is saying here is like this process of being in the valley is only a season. It's not permanent. It's not forever. This isn't life as we know it. It's going to be a season. I'm going to walk through the valley, even though it might seem dark and bleak and terrifying right now, even though there's you know, opportunities to panic, there's peace because we know that the shepherd is leading us through the valley. He's in control. He's guarding us. David wrote this psalm, and he was a man who knew the high moments of life, and he also knew valleys. I mean, David himself, he was a shepherd. He knew what it took to lead his sheep to the high ground. He knew what it took to care for his sheep. He understood what it meant for his flock to lack nothing. David also knew pain. He knew panic. He knew paranoia. He knew what it was like to be misunderstood. He knew what it was like to face giants. He knew what it was like to even fail and to lose it all. He knew persecution. He knew family dysfunction that came as a direct result of his failure. He had enemies encroaching on him. He had all these things, but he also knew peace in the midst of it all because he knew who his shepherd was. Even though... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Through the valley. They're not permanent. They're a season. God leads us through the valley. And valleys, yes, let's be honest, they can feel like the end. They can feel dire in there. It may feel like you may even die in the valley, that you're going to be stuck in the valley, that you've got to get yourself through the valley on your own and try to grab control on your own, but it's just not true because the valley is not forever. But here's the reality. Even though, even though you're going to walk through valleys. And folks, right now, we're in a valley season. Our world is is experiencing a valley season of life. And there are some people who are sheep without a shepherd. And the only thing they know to do in this moment is panic, to grab control, to fear a little bit. They don't have the hope and the peace that we do. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to walk through the valley. But Jesus is your shepherd. And he's the one who's leading you in it. And he's the one who's going to lead you through it. Now listen, this might sound a little morbid. But what is the worst that can happen 
in the valley. What is the worst thing that can happen? You could die. But if Jesus is your good shepherd, death has no sting. And that's why I love how David says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What is the worst predator, the worst enemy in the valley? It's death. Death feels final. It feels permanent. It feels intimidating and terrifying. Why else do we panic in these moments? Like really, like why else are we panicking? Well, because we don't know what's going to happen and we feel a sense of control. We're trying to fight death off in some ways. If we were just to be honest, if you were to strip it all down. The most intimidating and ominous character we face in the valley is death. But for those who have Jesus as our good shepherd, death is only a shadow. It's a shadow. Shadows don't hurt people. Shadows can't touch you. There's nothing stronger. There's nothing bigger in the valley than Jesus. Not even death. Not even the coronavirus. Not even oil or money or even politics. Nothing's greater than Jesus in the valley. What's the worst that can happen? You could die. Okay, that's fine. But Jesus, with Jesus, because he died for you and conquered death, death has no sting. It's only a shadow. For the believer, death used to roam around as the bully in the schoolyard, but it can't touch you anymore. Now, this, this is a little embarrassing. And, and in fact, let's just, I'm just going to say this. I'm not condoning this type of behavior, but I remember in a grade school, late grade school and early middle school, there were two kids who were older and bigger than me, and they thought it was fit for them to bully me. I hated it. I, I remember literally, it was like every day for at least a year and a half to two years, like I would, I would dread going to school because they would find me every single morning. And every single morning, they would embarrass me. They would humiliate me. They would kick me in my shins. They would even spit on me. And I was hoping that somebody, I mean, they were bigger than me, okay? So it was like I was a little bit intimidated by them. And I just took it. I tried to act like it didn't bother me. You know, but in the inside, like I was fearful. I was intimidating or intimidated and all that kind of stuff. I wanted someone to defend me. I was wanting someone to punch those guys in the face. Not saying you should do that. I was hoping someone would. I was longing for an advocate for someone to come after them. Listen, that's how death is. Death is a bully. But for those who follow Jesus, Jesus came and knocked that bully's butt to the ground. Death can't do anything to you. Jesus was the advocate, and now death is just a shadow. So for us who follow Jesus, there's nothing that can really harm us in the valley. Even though I walk through the valley, it's going to happen. And it's a season we will get through the valley. And in the valley, it can be terrifying. It can be full of panic and full of dread. But the reality is for those of us who follow Jesus, death is just a shadow. And because Jesus is our shepherd, I will fear no evil. Nothing can touch you in the valley. Do you believe that right now? I mean, ask yourself, why are you panicking? Why, why is fear gripping you? Whatever is that root, I'm willing to bet that that's death just trying to taunt you. 
But death has no hold on you, has no sway over you. Death has no sting. It's just a shadow. I will fear no evil. Why? This is the important one. Why? For you are with me. If you notice in this psalm, verses 1 through 3 and 5 and 6, it's as if David is describing who God is to someone. The Lord is, is, he's my shepherd. This is what God is like. He's my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I, I lack nothing. He leads me beside still waters. That's what my God does. He, he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's what my God does. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That's him. And then in verse 5, it's even like he's saying, he's like, listen, he prepares a table before my enemies, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But here in verse 4, it changes. It's like all of a sudden, in this moment, David is caught up remembering the valleys in his own life, remembering God's faithfulness, remembering that there was nothing that could really harm him. And all of a sudden, he turns in this moment, and he goes, for you are with me. Because it's in those valley moments where we feel like God is impersonal. Where it feels like everything is lost. Where it feels like everything is gone. And it is, the end is here. In that moment, he's like, you were faithful. You are with me. When my enemies were coming against me, you were with me. When I failed, you were with me. When I failed as a father, you were with me. When I was being kicked out of my own kingdom, you were with me. I love this part. For when everything was bleak and everything looked terrible, when it looked like the world was crumbling, you were there. You were there. It's like even in this moment in this psalm, David is trying to explain and describe who God is. But in this moment, he can't help himself. He has to look up and give praise to his God. You are there. Right now. Beloved, he's with you. In the valley, he's with you. Jesus promised that he will always be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us in his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit to guide, to convict, to encourage, to bring comfort. Our good shepherd is ever present, ever personal, ever active. When we know that God is with us in the valley, listen, panic and fear give way to being quiet and calm in here. And that produces a confidence in us that no matter what happens in the valley, no matter what happens in the valley, even if, even if we were to pass this life here in the valley, we know we will be with him eternally forever in heaven. We know that. You are with me. Let come what may. Yes, the storms may break out, the waters may rise, predators may attack, but because you are with me, I will not fear. Where are your eyes in this season? What is grabbing your heart more in this season? 
Let me say this. Be in this book more than on Facebook in this season. Let his rod and his staff comfort you in this season. His rod is a symbol of his power and his authority and his strength to defend himself and you. His rod is also a symbol of discipline to bring you back onto the right path. In a lot of ways, the rod could be seen as his word that brings about conviction and truth and grace and mercy and righteousness. Like God's word in this season, grab your heart more than ever before. When you feel yourself giving way to panic or fear, for you are with me. You say that in your word. You are my shepherd. I lack nothing. You are with me. I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is also a tool to examine you, to know where your ears of hurt are, where your ears of fear are, so he can take care of you and remedy your issues. The rod is God's concern and compassion that if you wander off a little bit, that rod is a gentle tool to bring you back in. Folks, listen. You are being guided in the valley. And we're in the valley. You're being guided in the valley, and it's only a season. You will be led through this valley. Jesus is our good shepherd. We don't need to fret. We don't need to worry. We don't need to scramble. We don't need to try to hoard a whole bunch of things and all that kind of stuff so that way we have this illusion of control for ourselves. I'm not saying don't be wise and do what you need to do. By all means, be wise and do what you need to do. But don't do it because you feel the need that you have to take care of yourself. When you have a guide, you don't have to worry. I remember one time on a mission trip, we were in um, Fresno, Mexico. And um, <laughs> it was like a month before we got there, there was a big cartel shooting. And as the college pastor with college students, I was terrified. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to know all the ins and outs. But you know, we made sure that it was safe. And our leader on the field there ensured us it was safe. But he knew where to take us. He, he knew the best places to go. He knew all the paths. He knew the ins and outs. And I could just relax in that and let him guide us. I didn't need to take control of that. I gave it to him. And I was able to be at peace. That's how we are in a situation. Let go of the control. Let him lead you. That will bring peace. That's his promise to us. We are going through the valley. We are going through the valley. When we have Jesus, we have everything we need. We will find rest. Our souls will be refreshed. We're going to find ourselves on paths that lead to life. And when we stare at death, we don't have to panic because we see him. We know that he's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us and they are there for us because of him. We're going to get through this valley. So we need to look our gaze on him. Church, where are your eyes in the valley? This is important. You need to know who's with you. He is with you. Now, I want to come back to what I shared in the very beginning about how the church 
AD 242, 246, rose up and loved others like never before. They were able to do that because they knew who was with them. They had peace in the midst of panic. They chose faith over fear. And God used them in a powerful way. Did some die? Yeah, some did die. Many died. But they did it with joy. I got to admit, saying that scares me. But this is an opportunity because there are many people, there are many sheep out there in the valley who are lost, who are wandering, who don't have a shepherd. And the church, you and I, our mission is to go after them. We're the only people in this world right now. Think about that. We're the only people in this world right now that have a hope that cannot be shaken. We're the only people in this world that can have a hope that can never be taken away. Death can't touch us. In a lot of ways, we're invincible. I want to encourage you to allow that peace. Let that faith stir up inside of you. Yes, be wise, be prudent, be shrewd, do what you need to do. But be open to sharing the love of Christ in a time like this. Pray, love, give, serve. We have no reason to panic, but we have every reason to love and live like Jesus in this season. So I want to pray for us. So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, just pray along with me. Lord, we are thankful that you are our good shepherd. That the reality is we will face valleys in this life. That even in John 16, 33, you said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, be calm, be at peace. I have overcome the world. Death has no sting. Death is only a shadow. Even though we walk through the valley, this is just a moment. It's a season. It's temporary. You are leading us through because you are a good shepherd and you can only lead to life. Father, I pray that this peace the peace that is ours that really should surpass all understanding would be something that's tangible and palpable in our lives where we would say, Lord, you are so good. I have no reason to fear. I have no reason to fret, no reason to panic. Lord, give me the conviction. Stir inside of me the desire to share this hope and this love and this peace and hope with other people. Lord, even in this moment where we can be discouraged as a church by not being able to gather together, Lord, I pray that you'd open up our eyes and see the amazing opportunities that we have to be a a different expression of the church, a different type of movement in this time. Lord, I thank you for the season we're in, in the city of Austin, where we're in this campaign, where we're even talking as churches about what's after life. What a timely thing. So, Father, I want to pray for our brothers and sisters who have you as our good shepherd who are giving into fear or giving into panic, and maybe their eyes are fixated on all of the news and all of the things around us, and that there is no peace. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would use your staff and pull them back to you that they would see your heart and that they would put their feet on a firm foundation. And Lord, we want to pray for those in this time, in this world who 
are lost, who are scrambling, who are panicking, who are questioning life, Lord, I pray that they would see you and they would find you. So, Lord, we should just say, use us in this time for your name and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name.